It's time for another edition of Your Home Discovery, broadcast nationally on AM and FM radio stations, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and more, plus easily found on most social media channels. Podcast available at yourhomediscovery.com. Your Home Discovery, keeping everything around your home sweet home looking great. Now, here's your host, Charlie Campbell. Hey, welcome back to another edition of Your Home Discovery. I am Charlie Campbell, discovering all aspects of your home, whether it be remodeling, renovation, a room addition, or an entirely new thought-out plan, design, and new construction. We are your source for thoughts, topics, questions, and hopefully along the way, a few answers. I would invite you to our website, yourhomediscovery.com. Would love to have you join us there. The site is in process of being expanded with more of the things you're after. If there's not something on that website that that you want to see, please let us know what that is. Info at yourhomediscovery.com. We got into quite the electrically induced topic. We talked about Everything from how the power provider, the utility company, brings in the high-voltage lines. We go through the transformers to our electric panels, and then we distribute to the circuitry throughout our home. It, it, we started to run out of time, and we didn't get through all of it. And I say that because I've gotten several emails Charlie at yourhomediscovery.com, asking a few more additional questions. And we're going to try to cover those questions and a little bit more about your home's wiring. Again, this is from the perspective of a little bit of knowledge. It's not from the perspective of everyone should try doing this yourself. That's not what we're recommending here. It's just good to understand a little more about how that power moves throughout our home so that when we plug things into those outlets, we understand the demand that we're putting on the system. We know not to overload circuitry. And we talked a lot about certain things like power adapters, power strips, surge suppressors, not making those big mistakes of putting a six plex adapter into two outlets so that now we can plug six things in and doing a space heater and a computer and a microwave. I mean, certain appliances require a circuit all of their own. And when your home is wired, they typically run a circuit direct to the microwave itself. But when they're putting those outlets on the walls, those are for typical items. They're not to be overloaded. If we have a different purpose for a room, a bedroom is assumed to have a lamp, maybe a phone charger, a computer. We're not expecting to put a bunch of heavily energy demanding appliances in a bedroom. So we're not wiring them for that. Sometimes if there are five outlets in your bedroom, maybe only three of them are on the same circuit, and two of them in the bedroom next to you might be on the same circuit. It's kind of a balancing act, 
in an assumption of demanded use. So things can happen. So I've, I've recommended and I've gotten some emailed pictures. I think they're kind of cool. In fact, I'm going to put one of them on one of our social sites, Facebook. If you're not, uh, if you haven't clicked that little thumb by your home discovery, please go out and click that button and follow us on Facebook. I'm going to post the picture of a before and after breaker panel. It's always a good idea to make friends with your electrician. Have your electrician out for an overview. Maybe you're not having a circuit trip or a problem, but if you don't know the size breaker panel you have, the age of the breakers, the potentials that are there, things can happen. And anytime something negatively happens in the electrical side, it literally could result in a fire. I've seen some things that are pretty scary that are still working. So really good idea to have a professional out. When, when you're considering physically doing electrical work, it can run the gamut from a, a very basic light bulb change out to something extremely complex like putting a new meter box in and a disconnect and service line to a new panel. We're not advocating these things as do-it-yourself items, but it's really helpful for every DIY-minded homeowner and for those hiring this work done to have at least the basic understanding of electrical work. So we're going to cover some more in-depth, but maybe a quicker, higher level of some of the things that run throughout your home so that you do have a better understanding of it. A couple of emails from our last program we're talking about, you went through the, the, the main service portions, which we will never touch, but when you got to outlets and circuitry and what the wires mean, that went a little quick. So uh, kind of the basics, electricity comes in the home coming through a meter. The first thing that we have to do is meter that usage. That way the utility company can monitor that usage and obviously charge accordingly for it. Then we go through, depending upon the distance from the meter to the breaker box, we, we, we need to get to a main disconnect panel, whether that's at the breaker box, if you're within the distance required by the code in the area which you live, or if we have to go into a disconnect and then go feed a panel of breakers. Either way, that's how we get there. Um, from that box, we're going to take a bunch of different circuits to different parts of the home. And individually, those circuit breakers are tied in so that each circuit becomes independent. I got two emails after our last show, and, and they said, you know, we are having one breaker trip constantly, and someone told us to put in a bigger breaker. When you went through that whole explanation of trying to get too many cars on the highway at the same time, it made a lot of sense. And I hadn't ever thought about it from that perspective. And it was a lot of thank you emails for the clarification of that. Safety is our most important topic. There's a few areas of our homes where we can create a real problem. If you mess up with a a water pipe, most of the time, a wet floor is the kind of the worst thing that's going to happen. 
If you mess up with an electrical panel, a home fire could occur. If you mess up running your gas line, explosions and fires could occur. These are dangerous areas, so we want to make sure that we understand them so that we can respect them and work with them properly. So most home electrical systems are designed to work with 120 volts with the exception of your major appliances like your clothes dryer, electric ranges, and I say clothes dryer if it's not a gas dryer. If it's an electric dryer, an electric range, your outdoor condensing unit for your air conditioning system are often 240 volt circuits. So wiring, this is where we sped up on the last program, wiring comes in different gauges or sizes. The heavier the gauge or the thicker the wire within it, the more current can get through it without overheating. Electrical wire and circuit breakers need to work together and have to correspond. So if we're talking about gauge, 14.2 is a pretty common electrical wire. It's only rated to a maximum of 15 amps. So last week we were talking about that one troublesome breaker that keeps popping and tripping and giving us fits. If that breaker is a 15 amp breaker with 14.2 wire and we take that 15 amp breaker out and put a 20 amp breaker in, we may not pop the breaker, but we're going to overheat the wiring. That's why those things have to work in tandem. 12.2 gauge wiring is rated to a max of 20 amps. And these two sizes are really the standards that are used in most homes for lighting, for wall outlets. Heavier gauges, higher amp circuit breakers are going to be used for the bigger appliances. And again, we really have to focus on local and state building codes. We want to make sure that we're following the electrical code for your specific area. Electrical wire is gauged very similar to shot for a shotgun. The smaller the number, the heavier the wiring gauge is. 12 gauge wire is heavier than 14. It's going to carry a larger load, but it's smaller than 10 gauge wire, which will carry a little bigger load. So we have to be very aware of our sizes. Stay tuned. Your home discovery continues straight ahead. Your home discovery now continues. Here's your host, Charlie Campbell. We are still wrapping up the electrical portion. We started on our last edition. We're covering a little bit more today based upon your emails. Info at yourhomediscovery.com. Would love to hear from you with your questions, whether they're electrical, mechanical, plumbing, construction, carpentry, framing, trim work, whatever the question. We have an advisory team. It's not just me. So if you have questions, we would love to hear from you. We were talking about wire size and how it's sized much like shot for a shotgun. The smaller that the number, the heavier the wire gauge. The heavier the wire gauge, the more power we can run through it. This is where we were 
last edition comparing an electrical wire to lanes of traffic. If you've got three lanes and you have a semi in each lane, you're probably not getting the fastest Corvette under that semi. The semi's got to move out of the way. Electricity is not... What's the word I'm looking for here? Electricity is not intelligent enough to stop at the breaker and say, well, no, this is a 30-amp breaker and that wire is only designed for 15 amps, so I'm not going to go through there. As drivers of a vehicle, we can make a decision not to try to go on the shoulder and pass a vehicle. We see the disastrous results that occur when people try to do that. The wrong area, it doesn't work out for them. We see the disastrous results of running a 30-amp breaker on a 15-amp wire when we see the news story with the fire trucks and the big flames and the problems that occur. The breaker is designed to sense the load and trip if it exceeds its rated maximum. Circuitry should only really be sized about 75% of the load of the circuit that it's carrying. But I'm getting more into the weeds. The bottom line is we, we want to catch the overheats and catch the potential fires long before that breaker ever trips. If too large of a gauge of wire is used with a low amp breaker, the breaker could also trip. So it's really important to make friends with your electrician. You really need to know what gauge wire it is, what amp breaker we have for any given application. And it's really not a guesstimating area. We can't just roll the dice and guess at it. Um, again, it's, it's all about being safe. Standard household electrical wiring contains three wires. A hot wire, a neutral wire, and a ground. The black is typically the hot wire. The white wire is the neutral. And the bare copper should be the ground. That does not mean if you're changing a device, if you're changing a switch or an outlet, and you take that apart, you open the cover after turning the breaker switch off, and you find a black wire, it does not ensure that it's the hot wire because we don't know what someone connected before. So we have to make sure that we understand how to test and how to ensure that those colors are correct. The colors are designed to guide the electrician knowing where those go. But again, the wire is not, it's not human. It can't say, huh, no, you can't put me on the ground, I'm a neutral wire. You can't put me on the neutral, I'm a hot wire. And then we can throw the whole plan right out the window when we get into things like three-way switches because now we're going to have additional wires, travelers. We may get time to cover that. We've got other questions to cover today as well. Typical electrical wire. That's what we're talking about is, is typical. It's usually in an insulated sleeve. And inside that sleeve are those three wires that are separated by independently insulated insulation on each wire. So the black wire in standard applications is the one that's carrying the electrical current. So that's why it's typically deemed the hot wire. The white wire is typically the neutral and the bare is the ground. When they're joined together, 
you really have to hook in it like a junction box. He should hook the black wire to the black wire so that at the other end, the black wire is the hot wire. If that's not done, will it work? Yes, as long as when you switched colors, you knew that at the other end and hooked it to the correct terminal. So the circuit won't work if they're wired backwards, and that's where shorts come into play. Three-conductor electric wire is available to use with all kinds of applications that you can use when you get into three-way switching. That's where red or blue traveler wires end up coming in. Now, if we're talking about automotive wiring, red is positive. This is all DC, not AC current. So automobiles are a completely different scenario. Red is your hot or positive and black is your ground. And it's a DC system or direct current instead of AC, like your home is using, which stands for alternating current. If you're going to do anything with a circuit, a switch, an outlet. If you're going to change that and and feel that you have the knowledge to do that, please at least disconnect the power supply before you start disconnecting or reconnecting anything. For applications like wiring a light fixture, which was another question, charlie at yourhomediscovery.com, I want to put in a light fixture. How are those wires connected? They're typically, the fixture itself is typically connected to the power coming from the switch, the neutral coming from the switch, and the ground by using wire nuts. Wire nuts are used to join the wiring together, which involves stripping the insulation back that's encasing all three wires and then stripping each of the three wires and keeping them separate and putting this together. There's kind of an art to this. You you need some training in order to, to, to pull this off. Light switches and wall outlets have screws on both sides, typically for connecting wiring. This is where the term duplex comes from when we talk about an outlet. We started to talk about this last program and got sidetracked, but a duplex outlet has wiring on both sides of the outlet. And the reason for that, we can bring power in to supply the outlet, and then we can take power from that outlet to supply The next one, that keeps these units, that's where the term all on the same circuit comes from. Anyway, I'm getting a little detailed into something that I hope without already having this knowledge you're not going to try to do. The most common electrical projects that homeowners attempt is replacing light switches and wall outlets. When you add on to a home, you add on rooms or major renovations, Now, we're increasing the number of wall outlets, of switches. This gets into adding circuitry. This gets into a lot more than the average do-it-yourself person would be involved with. A light switch, all it really does is disrupt the flow of power. So, we're interrupting or shutting that power off that is feeding up to a fixture. So if you walk in a bedroom and you turn the light on, from the time you flip the switch until the time the light comes on is almost instant. 
It's amazing how fast electricity travels. Interrupting that flow by turning the switch off is how we are separating the hot wire that goes to that switch. I don't know if that made sense. I hope that it did. If you have electrical questions, Charlie at yourhomediscovery.com. More than happy to cover your question. Pictures are always welcome. We even have, there's this little paper clip on the Ask Charlie button. I didn't know what this thing did, but I was playing with it the other day, and I kind of got a little education. You hit that paper clip, and you can upload a photo, and everyone is carrying smartphones now, so photos are pretty simple to upload. We have another electrical question I'm going to try to knock out real quick, and it involves the plumbing side of electricity. It's an electric water heater. Again, from different times of the year, we have different demands on our systems. And whenever we get into the fall, winter, and spring times of the year, the incoming water temperature is cooler than in the heat of the summer. So the cooler the water temperature coming in, our set point doesn't change. On our water heater, we may have our, our, our set point, our temperature set at 125 max. But if the water coming in is 25 degrees cooler than the heat of the summer, now we have a larger stair to climb. We have a larger hill to overcome. More power is used. If it's electricity, more gas is used. If it's a gas-fired water heater. And the question is about trying to figure out why I run out of hot water more quickly this time of year. More helpful ways to build and improve your home sweet home are straight ahead. Stay tuned. Your home discovery now continues. Here's your host, Charlie Campbell. Charlie at yourhomediscovery.com is the best way to get in contact with us if you have a thought, a question, a topic. Let's say you're looking at a project around your home and you'd just like to hear some different thoughts and ideas on it. Shoot that over to me, charlie at yourhomediscovery.com. We're right in the middle of an emailed question about running out of hot water with an electric water heater. And we've been talking about hot neutral ground wiring, 110, 220 volt circuits, AC alternating current. We've been talking about wiring for quite a while now. So this is a good transition to the electric water heater. The email says, I'm just reading exactly. It says, I'm fairly well versed with a multimeter. So I removed the two panels that are on the face of my electric water heater so that I could get voltage readings at my two elements. Both elements are 4,500 watt elements, but the problem I have is only one seems to be working, and it is the top one. I'm not getting any power to the bottom one. I'm trying to figure out there's not a wiring schematic here to use. Do you have any tips or advice? And this is from someone named Chad. Well, Chad, the, the truth is in a residential water heater, you're not going to have power to both at the same time. Yes, they have two electric elements in them, but they're only designed to be powered one at a time. 
So there's basically four components. There's an upper thermostat, a lower thermostat. Those are typically surface-mounted on the side of the tank, so they are reading tank temperature based upon contact. The older electric water heaters and some commercial water heaters use what are called immersion thermostats, where we have a sensor in the water itself. We're not just reading the tank temperature. With a gas-fired water heater, the gas valve is also an immersion thermostat because on the end of that gas valve, out in the water, is the thermostat portion that's sensing the temperature. But with this email, this question, an electric water heater has the four components. An upper and lower thermostat measuring tank temperature on the surface and two elements, an element on top and an element on the bottom. Power comes from the breaker panel and goes to the top thermostat. That top thermostat is the boss of the whole system. It is in charge. It wants the power any time it needs it, and it takes that power and it transfers it to that upper element. And we start heating water. Once the water, i.e. the surface of the tank, reaches the set point, the power is then taken away from that upper element now that it is what's called in the industry satisfied, and that power is then allowed to be transferred down to the bottom thermostat. doesn't mean that the element gets power. It means that power was then transferred by the upper thermostat to the lower one. And now the lower one can make the decision. Do we need heat? The answer is typically yes. By the time the top one is satisfied, now the bottom one needs power. So top element is now off, top thermostat is satisfied, power is transferred to the bottom thermostat. We now sense the tank temperature. Yes, we need heat in the water at the bottom of the heater, and we start heating that element. That will maintain until one of two things happen. We either reach set point, and then the power will shut off, and it will remain sitting there at the second thermostat. The second thing that can happen is you come along and use some water while it's going through this cycle. When you use water, we're supplying, if you look at your water heater, typically both water lines are connected at the top. So you have cold water coming in and hot water going out. What you don't see below the surface where the cold water pipe attaches to the top of the heater, there is what's called a dip tube that takes that cold water to the bottom of the heater. It doesn't go all the way to the bottom, but it goes over three-fourths of the way down. Thermal convection keeps the hottest water to the top of the heater. You start drawing hot water, we're bringing cold in. As soon as that upper thermostat senses that we have gotten below set point, it will take power away from the bottom thermostat so that it can heat the water in the top of the heater. The reason we want to heat the water in the top and that be the priority is when you pull hot water out, that's where it comes from first, is the top of the heater. That's why that top thermostat is in charge. We keep the top of the heater hot first. Then, once that's done, then we can transfer power to the bottom 
we can heat the water at the bottom of the heater, and now we have what's called volume. We're getting the full volume of the unit. So, in the case of the email, I'm running out of hot water much more quickly than we used to. That's when we pulled out the testing, and we find out that the bottom element had no power. The top one did. What's happening in this particular case is we are never getting our volume because we're never heating that bottom element. The, the, the giveaway for that is I'm running out of hot water more quickly than I used to. If our problem is reversed and our problem is at the top element or thermostat, the problem, the statement is going to be, I have no hot water. Because until the top one's satisfied, we're not going to transfer power to the bottom one. And without heating the water at the top, the first water that comes out isn't hot, and that's when we shut the faucet back off and call a plumber. We're having a problem. We don't have hot water. So I don't have as much as I used to with an electric heater. Could mean a problem at the bottom thermostat or element. I have no hot water. Most likely we have a problem at the top. You rarely have a problem with both at once. It's almost never that that occurs. The top one and the bottom one are separate in a residential application. Now, we start looking at gas-fired water heaters. We don't have two different places that we're measuring. The gas valve is measuring temperature at the bottom. So, if I'm running out of hot water more quickly than I used to with a gas-fired heater, we have to ask ourselves, when we say than I used to, is it a different or colder incoming water temperature than before? Or what else could be going on? One of the other things that is very common when we're running out of hot water more quickly or getting shots of cold water throughout a nice warm shower are called cross connections. And we have a lot of fixtures in our homes that are connected to both hot and cold, and we rely on the fixture not to allow any mix to happen. Kitchen sink faucets. Has one lever most of the time. You go to the left and it's hot, you go to the right and it's cold. Or in the side application, which a lot of them are going to now, you typically Pull it closer to yourself, and it's hotter. Farther away is colder. Could be vice versa. Depends upon the faucet. You look for the little red and blue dots. But the bottom line is, it is one cartridge that is mixing hot and cold for that outlet temperature. Most showers that we take are around 105 degrees. We have 125 in the heater, and our incoming water temperature this time of year could be anywhere from 40 degrees to 60 degrees, depending upon where we are in the country. So if we have 125 degree water and 50 degree water, and we want 105, it's going to take a mix. So these cartridges are designed to mix a little bit of this and a little bit of that till you've moved the lever where you're most comfortable. So in an off or shut off position, they should not allow any mix. I have seen some of these cartridges, water loves to take the path of least resistance, that will allow cold water to fill in 
to the hot side of that cartridge in an off position. So you're using the the kitchen sink and the intersecting wall that's just right around the corner is a shower. And that shower mixing valve is allowing cold to come through the hot side. And it's a whole lot easier to get flow from the hot side of the shower in the other room than it is to pull it from the other direction. So if those cartridges fail, if you have a, think about a commercial kitchen and you have a hand sprayer and you have both the hot and the cold turned on, but the hand sprayer is off, we have two valves that are open. Any differential in pressure could allow that cross connection. I realize I'm getting deeper into the technical weeds than what you maybe wanted me to. Info at yourhomediscovery.com if you want to get deeper into those weeds. I'm more than happy to do it. More of your emails are right in front of us. If you've got a thought, info at yourhomediscovery.com. Stay tuned. Your Home Discovery continues straight ahead. Your Home Discovery now continues. Here's your host, Charlie Campbell. Electrical discussions are continuing on yourhomediscovery.com. We have lots of them, and we're sharing those on our website. We're going to share those here the rest of this program. But what are we going to talk about next week? Your thoughts, topics, and ideas. Charlie at yourhomediscovery.com. I would love to hear from you. And when you write in, tell me where you're hearing us. As we begin to broaden our reach across the United States, I'd love to know where you are hearing us. The next emailed question goes directly back to electrical, and it is asking about grounding. The email specifically says, I had a plumber out who told me that the reason I'm having a problem with my water heater is that my anode rod is disappearing very quickly and it appears as if I have an electrical grounding issue that needs addressed. He referred me to an electrician. The electrician has not come yet. He is due next week. I'm curious how an electric ground issue could have anything to do with my water heater. What are your thoughts? Charlie at yourhomediscovery.com is a great place for those kinds of questions. It's these more difficult-to-figure-out scenarios that make the whole construction world more interesting, right? If it was just all simple and basic and everything was the same, I think we'd get bored pretty quickly. However, this one, this one gets a little deeper because we're mixing trades. And in most municipalities, they are separate trades. Plumbers won't touch wiring. Electricians won't touch plumbing. Mechanical contractors that do heating and air conditioning want nothing to do with water pipe or outlets. So now we have this, this mixture. We run into the same thing in appliances. You'll get people that are very good at fixing dishwashers, washing machines, but they want nothing to do with running the water pipe to the dryer. Water pipe to the dryer? Yes, now dryers have a lot of times a connection for a water pipe so that we can add a little bit of humidity to eliminate wrinkles. Dish machines, in your kitchen, a dish machine is going to need power to operate. It's going to need hot water to wash your dishes, and it's going to need a drain. This is where we're connecting trades. So in the particular application of 
the plumber said the reason I'm prematurely eroding my anode rod is an electrical grounding issue. We have to go in and look deeper. This really involves an experienced electrician, very good at troubleshooting a grounding system. But if we look at grounding in most of the building codes, and again, there's so many building codes across the country, there's no way I can keep up with all of them. But most of the national codes say for homes built prior to 2010 that your primary ground is your water service line. Well, what's happening with water service lines across the country is that when they're being renewed, upgraded, replaced, that is being done with PVC instead of steel. So we are eliminating a little bit of the grounding field that we used to have. Most plumbing codes are saying that if you replace a water service, at least the first 10 feet of it have to be copper so that we have our primary ground. Our secondary ground is that bare wire coming out of the meter that goes down and hooks to the ground rod that's driven into the soil at the base of the home below the meter in most applications. How do you test to see if that rod that's driven into the ground is really eight foot and really doing its job? What about the testing of the soil and the, the ability to test that ground to make sure that it's good? This can get pretty deep. The testing equipment can become pretty expensive. How in the world does any of this have to do with the degradation of an anode rod? Well, what in the world is an anode rod? Our water heater contains one. It is a sacrificial element designed to absorb the small electrical charge created when we heat water. This is known very well by the water heater manufacturers. That's why they put them in there. And the struggle that we get into in different areas of the country is the type of anode rod is crucial to be selected correctly based upon the type of water that you have. There are several different types of anode rods, magnesium, zinc, aluminum. In some types of water, an aluminum anode rod with your water supply could create aluminum hydroxide when they mix and they heat in the water heater. With a magnesium anode rod, which a lot of the farm country, the Midwest, really need to have a magnesium anode rod because that's where the largest amount of aluminum hydroxide is created by the degradation of the aluminum anode rod. These anode rods are designed to give their life. A little bit at a time, and that's how a water heater's warranty can be calculated. You've seen some water heaters are six years, some are eight, some are 10, some are 12. It's all based upon how long it is assumed that that heater can continue creating that electrical charge created when we heat water without completely eliminating the anode rod. Then you throw some of these water treatment concepts in. There's one in particular where you mount it on the wall and you run a wire around the copper water line and loop it around and around and around, and then you plug it into power and we're inducing just small millivolts of electricity to the water to magically realign the particles so that they don't stick 
in the corners of the pipe or in change of direction or the quick closing valves at your washing machine, dishwasher, those kinds of places. We're adding millivolts of electricity. We're going to prematurely degradate the anode rod. So that is, that's one area where we might be creating a problem where we think we're solving another problem. This is why you have to get an electrician involved that understands a little bit about plumbing, but moreover, totally understands how to troubleshoot and really look at the order of operation of what's occurring in your home system. I had a contractor one time bring me a hydrant. Uh, it was made by Pryor, little hose bib. It was just a 12-inch standard sweat hose bib. He showed it to me and he said, you know, this is the third time on this house that I've had to replace this wall hydrant. And I sure wish Pryor would do a better job of making these hydrants. Well, I, I know the guys at Pryor. They're over in, uh, where are they? They're somewhere in Missouri uh, where they manufacture these, these wall hydrants. And I, I took a closer look at this, and I saw some pretty interesting streaking around the stop in the back of the hydrant. And upon a little further investigation, talking to him, getting an electrician involved, we found out there was 120 volts of power on the siding, all PEX water piping. And that is what was causing the hydrant to prematurely fail. In any mechanical process around our homes, when a product fails, we are, in my opinion, we are way too quick to fault the product. It may not be the product's fault. It could be the application or environment that we're subjecting it to. So in this particular case, what we found was a wall outlet had a wire actually touching. We were putting the hot wire was actually connected by contact to a metal box that was then connected to some metal siding. And guess what? The hydrant was bolted to the metal siding. So our electricity while it was a very small amount, was connected there. It doesn't take very much, and you start running water through that, it's going to erode the brass in the stop, and that is what occurred. I had another one that was a whole lot crazier than that that involved a, a box fan sitting in a basement below a water service and the water heater beside it, and that thin metal of the box fan actually attached itself to the water pipe and to the water heater because of lack of a ground. This can get very complex. Don't try to solve these problems on your own. You simply need a professional that truly understands sequential order of operation, some basic plumbing and electrical knowledge, and the ability to think a little bit outside the box. Because some of these solutions are not as simple as they appear. That's why we end up replacing a product a couple of times before we get deep enough to find out that the problem wasn't the product at all. It was the environment that we subjected it to. Info at yourhomediscovery.com. I can't wait to hear your thoughts, topics, and ideas for our next show. Thanks for enjoying another edition of Your Home Discovery with Charlie Campbell, a presentation of CQH Ranch, LLC. Keeping everything around your home sweet home looking great. Broadcast nationally on AM and FM radio stations, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and more, plus easily found on most social media channels. 
Tune in again soon for more tips and ideas to keep your home sweet home looking great. Podcast available 24-7, yourhomediscovery.com.